Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today on our show, we've got an amazing guest, as always. She is the managing partner of Telocity Ventures, a VC firm investing in digital wellness and mental health startups. Welcome to the show, Faye Sahai. How are you doing today? Great. Wonderful to be here and so glad, glad to see you again as well. So yeah, it's kind of been a, been a little while since we first, first met at the Brain Capital Innovation Summit. Yeah, what an amazing program that was as well. And uh, just to get the, the listeners kind of warmed up here and uh, start off with some really startling statistics. Uh, there is a 52% increase in the number of teens reporting major depressive symptoms, a 63% increase in suicidal thoughts or attempts in teens between 2005 and 2018, and a 17% increase in anxiety diagnoses between 2008 and 2018. All of this before COVID happened. How big of a problem are we currently being faced with in society? It's a big problem. Uh, The World Health Organization said 1 billion individuals are suffering with mental illness. And I'm seeing interesting stats. It used to be one in five will experience some kind of mental. Um, Now it's becoming one in four uh, from that. Um, So, and, you know, with polls of like, are you experiencing anxiety or depression? You know, it just keeps increasing from that standpoint. So I think it really is increasing. I think COVID really accentuated it. We are social beings. for isolation, fear, uncertainty for several years, I, I think it's been very challenging now getting with a interesting global market and what's happening globally as well. So I think it's a very important topic. So, so glad to be talking about it with you today, because I think the more we talk about it and we reduce that stigma and then people feel it's okay to not be okay. Right. No, absolutely. And yeah, it's always startling to put numbers to things, but we have to realize that this is a human interaction that, that people are going through, and and it is a societal problem, and it's a huge problem, and with huge problems, it's usually going to require a lot of money to kind of help ease some of some of the problems, and to put it in another perspective. Uh, Digital wellness is a close to a $5 trillion market and mental health has a $6 trillion global economic impact. And as you mentioned, with 1 billion people being affected, um, the U.S. behavioral markets expect to grow to roughly about a hundred and thirty billion by 2027. Um, what is kind of your role um, with uh, kind of fundraising funds and investing it in the right direction? Uh, what what are you doing with Telocity with this 
um, important societal uh, uh, problem and issue that's going on. Oh, David, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I think it's um, a large issue from that standpoint. So we were one of the first venture capital funds actually focused on mental health and wellness and digital wellness from that standpoint when we wow. started kind of exploring this in 2019. Uh, most people in venture capital were like focused on the broader digital health and chronic conditions and, and illnesses from that standpoint. You may have had like one kind of mental health investment, kind of a one and done uh, thing. And then you, I think that was kind of related to a whole series of things. But what we've really seen, especially in this past few years, is eight times growth in investment in this area. Um, you know, a tenfold growth in uh, mental health solutions and applications from that. Um, so it's been very exciting from that. Um, we're even raising our next fund um, and really expanding uh, uh, from that, going all across all age groups, because sadly it's happening a lot younger and right. to very old. It's um, in, in some parts, uh, you know, of the world, a suicide is the number one rate of, uh, you know, cause of death. Um, so it's, so how can we stem that, you know, and, um, we actually wrote a market guide, uh, kind of for investors and startups and, you know, it was kind of targeted that, and we just put all our research and insight after looking at thousands of companies and talking to thousands of people as well and doing national surveys. And, um, we were so surprised when it got 250 million, um, on our media impressions. We were just like, oh, wow. No. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of targeting these, but the interest is so great. The need is so great from that standpoint. So, um, so that is free and available on our website at telocity.co, so, as well as our national polls we've done, kind of solutions, blogs. So we want uh, people to feel empowered um, to kind of act and um, get the help they need. Right. Well, you guys are one of kind of the, the leaders behind this. Um, uh, kind of when you think of venture capitalists, um, a lot of it's kind of what's being established already. And in the health space, it's very much diagnosis, well, symptom diagnosis, medication, and rinse and repeat. And uh, I remember at the, the summit we were at, uh, one of the other VCs got up and said, anything in the brain health space is innovative right now. Um, how many of your colleagues in this world are like hesitant to, to step into this until things are more developed? And uh, how are you different uh, with this approach then? Yeah, um, I would say they're now, um, we went through an interesting cycle, um, right? Where it was, you know, kind of not many investing in there. And then we kind of, during COVID, you know, when you had yeah. Olympians, you had stars, celebrities saying, oh, I am not doing well. I have mental so I, You know, like people saying, and it kind of admitted to it, social media then saying, kind of accentuating that it's okay not to be okay and to seek help. Um, we right. definitely saw a whole kind of ramp up into kind of the investment area, um, going to some very large rounds in the 50 million and, and up and valuations. Um, so um, the likes of Achille, but then we've also had the likes of paratherapeutics, you know, FDA approval and where is the challenge. So we really need to look holistically at this because there's definitely the, you know, private investment we can do. 
but we need the public to be willing to, you know, seek the help they want. Um, but we also need the policy to reimburse the help they, they, they need. Um, right. So from an affordability access uh, standpoint. So it's a multi-pronged effect, I think, to really kind of uh, make sure that people are getting the help and access they need to the right help. But it was interesting that more than half of the mental illness starts at the age of 14. But it wow. takes an average of 10 years from your symptom to getting the right type of resolution. 10 years. That's like yeah, wow. a lifetime, right? Like, so just to your point that, you know, the $6 trillion um, impact on that is like when you have depression, time off work, lack of productivity. I mean, it, it can be very big as far as our returns, not only from an investment side, but for our society. Right. And yeah, you, you speak about that, like the spinoff, a 14-year-old in 10 years before they're able to m manifest what's going on. That's a very critical developmental period for the next generation in the workforce. Um, are we seeing it now with, uh, I know there's been, been terms thrown out there like the, the generation that hasn't been able to launch yet or the generation that can't thrive. Um, is this playing into things and uh, are the global impacts um, potentially even worse than what we we stated earlier? Yes. No, I think that's a really important question. I think it's very hard to tell yet, but there are predictions because if you think about it, to your point, there were two years missed of education, socialization, development. Um, there was increased isolation, depression, anxiety. Um, and we know that that, that affects the brain, right? Uh, from that right. being sustained um, kind of bouts of fear and uh, depression from that. So I, I do think, you know, COVID happening globally will be kind of a case study of how we recover as a society and then impact on generations. They say also too, right? Like as it, it's gonna be an endemic and likely to happen again, is that um, especially our young people will experience PTSD right. for kind of a COVID symptoms uh, from, from that and kind of having to lock down or wear masks from that. Um, so I do think it's really important um, that we you know treat it seriously. We listen, we engage, um, we try and find um, kind of solutions. And I know I know we've been talking about all the doom and gloom of doom that. Gloom, yeah. After seeing thousands of you know companies and talking to thousands of experts, we have our own luminary um, network of um, subject matter experts, um, like the chief innovation officer at Kaiser and the CMO at Microsoft. The, former uh, chief science officer at Calm and amazing people, uh, as well as a youth ambassador network, which has high school and college and young professional um, individuals across the country. We've been excited about seeing what's happening. Um, one in the area of prediction, like predicting, you know, manic bipolar states or suicide from that and being able to intervene early. Okay. Um, Prevention 
and a promotion. Uh, you whoa, know, whoa, 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 whoa. Prevention. Uh, that's somewhat of a swear word in politics and uh, healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, it's, it's interesting. I worked at Kaiser for nine years, heading up their innovation fund and innovation lab. And I feel, you know, and I've also worked at Blue Shield and Deloitte uh, across a, a lot of healthcare clients and my parents were both doctors. So I, to your point on prevention, you might then say, well, it's interesting. We talk about it, but we don't necessarily fund it. Right. Right. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new higher level than ever before? then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. It's interesting. We talk about it, but we don't necessarily fund it, right? Right. But um, at Kaiser, we had kind of the honor of really looking at kind of prevention because it was a holistic system, right? Because if you look at it right, we had the health plan and the insurers and our doctors and the hospitals and the clinics. And I don't know if you know that we actually even have a dental practice because that's the only organ in your body that you actually can physically see without cutting you open. Right. <laughs> and then all the way to nursing care, to a medical school. So like we are literally taking <laughs> the whole shift. So um, prevention and promotion of health and wellness was so critical. Um, to, I think, the Kaiser philosophy wow. and um, even so using you... data. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Even using data to do that, to actually predict how likely you are to get a disease and then recommend a protocol to prevent you from getting that. So, Right. Uh, you really are the, the right person uh, to be one of the, the leaders in this, this uh, arena. Um, can you kind of walk us through your immense business and uh, career experience? Um, I was blown away when I, when I was looking at everything you've done. Uh, yeah, can you kind of just walk us through what your career journey's been like? Um, what are what are a few <laughs> things that you've uh, you've really feel like, yeah, this is a proud moment in my career and uh, the other milestones that, that you've achieved through, throughout things? Uh, well, I actually started off in banking. Okay. I think part of it was uh, both my parents were doctors. And you know, when you're young, you're like, okay, I'm going to do something different than my parents. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> and so I went into banking and, um, you know, intellectually challenging and you know i was doing kind of investments and um it, so it, it was very stimulating uh from that standpoint but then I, like part of me was like well, where's the heart part of my kind of um, mission and purpose from that um and then i um accelerated and then i went to the extreme opposite of that and then went to do global nonprofits, working with like United Nation initiatives and um, things like that. And then then I said, okay, then that was like so extreme, right? Like from that. And then so I went to business school to say, okay, what do I really want to do that kind of takes holistically me, right? Uh, right. From that standpoint. Um, and then I came out and I was doing uh, 
Deloitte and Consulting and working across industries in healthcare, but I settled in health in healthcare very quickly, uh, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, it comes full circle uh, from that time and uh, working kind of with clients on their strategy and execution and technology and innovation uh, from that. And so, um, you know, then I, I started working at, you know, Blue Shield and, and Kaiser um, and AIG, and it's really evolved to leading their innovation practices and how technology is disrupting from that and how we can actually leverage data to um, really kind of empower. Um, I did three of my own startups, so I understand the pain point from our founders. Um, And then just, I've been passionate about it. So I do quite a bit of mentoring and advising for several accelerators and incubators. I've been um, championing a diversity inclusion because I think the more we have that at the venture capital table, the more we are, um, you know, it'll be a betterment for all uh, from that. So and so oh, that's wow. a little bit about what we're doing. And then and from there, I started uh, the, the venture capital uh, fund uh, really focused on wellness and mental health. That is amazing. And three startups along the way, mentoring all of this. Um, this is a high stress world <laughs> you're living in. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm sure you've kind of gone through your own challenges with brain health, mental health as well, um, with all the stress you've been under. If if you haven't yourself, you've seen it in others. Um, what are some of the common signs of kind of mental health challenges that professionals should be aware of in themselves and their colleagues as well then? No, it's a wonderful question because I think we can all, you know, play a a part and being kind to others and understanding and having some empathy. Um, But if you notice, you know, a colleague, a family member, like excessively worrying or fear or kind of distracted from that, I mean, that's something to look at, or they're excessively sad or withdrawn uh, from that. Um, Or you're seeing like these extreme mood changes, very happy and then very, you know, euphoria and then very uh, you know, kind of sad, right? Um, you know, so, so these really kind of strong feelings, or it might be that they actually start avoiding, they're isolating themselves, avoiding friends, not saying, no, I can't go to that event um, from that. And then, you know, um, they might like change like their sleeping or eating habits or, you know, or start, you know, um, overusing substances from that. Standpoint. Right. So, um, some come in the form of like, they have a lot of headaches, uh, stomach aches, you know, kind of pains from that. So these are all different symptoms, you know, uh, that you have, but I, uh, reckon, uh, NAMI is a wonderful organization, NAMI.org, a wonderful national organization on mental illness, but a lot of resources and signs, uh, that you can get from there as well as our 988 you are having problems is a wonderful resource and I think that's what I've been so happy about is the number of resources and um, that people can now reach out to. Wow um, what is kind of being one of the stories of kind of yourself being in one of these stressful situations and kind of what physical and emotional things happened and how did you work through it then? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely, it's very personal for, for me in the sense that my father, a doctor himself, has suffered depression for decades. Wow. Um, and, you know, you say, well, you're a doctor and my mom's a doctor, right? Like, but the stigma of it um, was so high. Um, Asians are also one of the less likely uh, ethnicities to seek mental health care uh, from that standpoint. But then on top of him being a doctor, too, he didn't want it to admit it or, you know, uh, know from that kind of standpoint. Um, he did later start on antidepressants, but a lot later uh, from that. And I think my childhood would have been a lot different if he had uh, been able to address it a lot earlier. Uh, but right. the stigma was so great that when he was due to go into emergency heart surgery, he preferred to go cold turkey on his antidepressants rather than telling the doctor he was on antidepressants. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, like all of us are like, no, don't, don't do that. Where you're going to a major, you know, but hit the stigma for him was so great that being able to tell a pure doctor that he was on antidepressants, he's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'd rather risk my life than say that I have depression. So right. you want to, you know, like, so for me, it's been very personal from that standpoint of like, how can this, how can it be okay to not, you know, and then actually save lives from that standpoint, so. Yeah. And just being in the healthcare field myself, um, there is limited kind of areas that healthcare professionals can, can turn to. And, uh, I always remember the, the stats that dentists had the highest suicide rate out of all professionals. And then that's being overtaken now by, by medical doctors that, uh, there's so much pressure and, uh, you have to perform and you, you are kind of isolated in your office and in your practices. And, uh, it is very difficult for people to, to pull themselves out of it. And on top of that, your associations want to clamp down on, on, uh, on any errors that happen instead of looking at, well, what could be causing that? And, uh, the support just isn't there in, in professions and, uh, yeah, you're completely right about the stigma. Um, yeah, if you start to talk about it, um, are you going to drive away patients, clients, people coming to see you? And uh, you have to be that rock. Um, so, wow, I, I imagine and can only imagine that uh, growing up in that situation would have been immensely difficult. And uh the antidepressants too, um, the efficacy out there, even though it's kind of the go-to treatment, um, isn't that high. And uh, kind of walk us through then uh, from what you've experienced kind of traditionally that's out there and what makes you so excited about kind of the upcoming innovation in this field with, with the med tech and digital health companies then? Yeah, no, to your point, I've talked with um, families that have tried like 30 different treatments, right? Wow. And that's when they have access and availability. And I talked to other families that have been on wait list for months, right? right. Um, 
So there's this whole range. I've been excited to see a few things from that. One, when you were talking about, you know, I am really concerned about the healthcare professionals, not only having very several family members in the healthcare professional, but the burnout, the stress um, in this area, um, the amount of quote unquote early retirements or resignations during, you know, post COVID um, from that, um, the kind of the challenge. So it was interesting um, talking, you know, talking to several people is that with healthcare professional, there is that even extra pressure of stigma, um, some for even kind of licensing from that implications impact to your work, um, where you're going. So um, interesting startup that we, we looked at too and, and invested in is one that has it total anonymous and they really worked with healthcare professionals to design it. So, so imagine, you know, like, they're like, well, you know, I would really love to be in a peer support group sharing and people who understand rather than going into a, a generic, you know, um, mental health loop, but some that would really understand right. the stress and the care you put in um, patient care. And so here it anonymizes your voice real time and your really? avatar. Wow. So <laughs> that you can totally feel free to kind of share and it kind of really, and it's with peers. So even the moderator, our trained moderator health professionals. So they really understand kind of the stresses of the environment, that, that personalization. And to that point, that personalization is so important for everyone in mental health, that understanding the empathy. And what we're finding is a lot of people might go to their one and only visit and it doesn't work, right? Right. It was like there was no chemistry. The trust wasn't built. It was just, just not a right match. Um, so what we're finding is a lot of companies that are really becoming very specific and using data to create more effective matches to the right solution, uh, the right treatment. Um, even using down to your kind of DNA, your biometric physics, just say, is this the right treatment? Is it the right drug? Is it the right protocol? Is it the right person? And really personalize it uh for people. right so excited about that so it just it's it is a you know the silver lining of people are so innovative uh from that and we have a lot more data that we can actually try and find more effective treatments faster so. absolutely and uh yeah a big piece of the puzzle is matching things up and the the data mining is is just massively important um, healthcare is kind of being slow to adopt it. Um, I know there's all sorts of legal issues around it um, that, yeah, you could go back in time and, and then see if there's been cases of malpractice. Um, so there's some hesitancy with that. Um, but also just adopting new technology. And uh, even going back to that quote that everything in the brain health space is innovative, um, I was kind of blown away at the summit that uh, yes and no, that um, a lot of the innovation actually is taking already existing ideas, concepts um, from like intake forms and that process and digitalizing it and making it more effective. And then when it came to the treatment aspect, um, a lot of the companies I found were finding a way to take something in the healing modalities and seeing if they can put it into a digital form. 
And yeah, that's going to help more and more people out. Um, but kind of speak to um, kind of those aspects. Um, how much of it right now is innovative in new ideas and how much of it is making things that exist out there um, more efficient and uh, being able to utilize it more? Oh, you know, David, such a great point. It's a whole range, right? right. Um, there is ones, you know, um, automating, you know, forms and uh, the new electronic medical record that really takes brain and mental health in consideration to, because um, we've definitely seen from this time in this kind of stage, COVID really impacted our healthcare systems around the world, right? It really tested how well the workforce the operations the procedures the data how can you access that virtually in a, a you know pandemic um and that's kind of the traditional healthcare system uh to right. be honest um, being in alberta um they shut down all kind of alternative therapies even physical therapy for a while um so it excluded a huge part of actual healthcare system outside of kind of the traditional too. Um, exactly. We saw yeah. so many cracks, right? So many cracks in the system of couldn't figure out. How. Um, but we also then saw an interesting push into virtual. Like then people just said, okay, right. this is not going away. We have to now do it virtually, like physical therapy virtually. Um, I remember at Kaiser, we were testing physical therapy for people that, for people that had plateaued using gaming. Right. You know, all, you know, from that standpoint and how can we incent people virtually through gaming, but now add kind of the component of like now games have become so advanced. They actually know where your arms are. Right. Like they can right. kind of from that. And, um, but now having a telehealth consultant, quote unquote, playing that game with you saying, okay, your arm needs to be a little higher. Great. It looks like your frozen shoulder is getting a little better. You know what I mean? Like, and then encouraging you, but using gaming, i.e. like, it's we fit boxing, right? Like your right. arms. Now let's because of your shoulders, let's get a little higher. <laughs> and I mean, it's just been really interesting to that standpoint. So, because telehealth is not new; it's been around for decades, but it right. was that adoption curve, right? Yes. Yeah. So now providers were forced to want it. You know, payers needed to pay for it, and consumers needed to adopt it. So I think that's been kind of the silver lining is that we became used to virtual care and other ways to access. But to your point, we need to be more holistic um, overall and continue to be. So I also see this as an opportunity though, because yeah, we can make things more efficient with digitalizing and the, the healthcare. Um, but there are fields where uh, you can't digitalize. You can't digitalize most surgeries. Um, they're working on it, obviously. <laughs> um, you can't digitalize a lot of kind of physical modalities. Um, there still needs to be that touch, whether it's massage, chiropractic, physical therapy. Um, this really does lead into that there can be a huge integration between kind of these existing fields and the digital world as well. Um, how do we foster... Uh, environment of collaboration then between kind of professions that have been at ends with each other before maybe or separate departments. No, I definitely um, advocate that it can't be, 
there needs to be that integration, that hybrid uh, from that standpoint. We found like the most effective ones are not um, just all one, right? Right. You know, high touch is wonderful, but hard to scale. Yes. Heck, easy to scale, but you lack the personalization uh, from that and that human connection uh, and that building of kind of trust. Um, so we definitely see a whole integration um, and possibility and hybrid solutions kind of coming out there. And I think it'll be very important uh, on a kind of a multiple kind of sectors to it, um, as well as kind of the funding support reimbursement from that, the adoption curation uh, from that, but also the scientific evidence and efficacy Right. Like, right. so we're looking at it for multiple ones and um, data security standpoint. Um, I know you mentioned kind of like adoption, you know, traditionally in healthcare, if you look at like a new practice, a research or when it, to when it gets fully adopted and scaled, that's years. Right? Yes. Like, <laughs> so how can we accelerate that uh, from that standpoint? Um, and so we well, are- how can we accelerate it? Um <laughs> I know you're in this world where that's the driving push behind whether you'll probably invest in a company or not. Um, companies that are pitching you or that that are in this realm, uh, how can how can they accelerate things? How can they make this world actually happen and occur? Yeah, no, it definitely. Um, it, there's a, lo- a lot of different possibilities. Um, you know, one you, you know consciously designing your um, your product and, and, but getting feedback early, right? So if you're designing it for youth or someone that's disabled, involve them in the process and have it doing that. Right. If you're, you're wanting a solution to be um, reimbursed by payers or providers, pi- you know, let's say, can we co-develop and pilot this together? Um, if you're, you know, so really, you know, trying to accelerate that process. If you're, trying to look in and saying, oh, is this something that's reimbursable? Seek help, get an advisor that focuses on reimbursement. Ask other entrepreneurs, investors. I take calls every day talking to startups and just kind of, you know, it might not be a right match for, for my venture capital fund, but I try and offer them kind of support, help and resources. And that's what we also put it on our website too, as well. Um, so it, it, it's a little all dependent on what kind of the product and service used, but I, I think rather than like building, you know, uh, kind of like, what is that analogy of field of dreams, like building the baseball field and then they will come, <laughs> yeah. build it together with them and they were already there. Right? Perfect. So. I love that. Uh, now this goes into why you mentor as well and you're so valuable in, in that, uh, that aspect of, of things as well. And you're a public speaker, um, lifelong learner, obviously. Um, what are you kind of currently passionate about learning and speaking on? Uh, and uh, what are some of the things coming up for yourself in, in that realm? Uh, definitely, I'm speaking a lot on, on healthcare, you know, wellness uh, and behavioral health, you know, trying to disrupt that 11 year um, kind of treatment cycle from that. Um, I've also been, you know, really then trying to, how do you build these kind of innovation ecosystems and strategic partnerships kind of holistically, as you were saying, it takes a village, uh, from that. And how can you build that around you 
um, because being an entrepreneur can be quite lonely as well as or a provider or a physician. So how do you build that support system, that flywheel around you as well? And um, also been talking all about um, inclusion and diverse oh, inclusion wow. because that not only leads to kind of a better investment uh, in my mind, it leads to better innovation. Science has proven if you have a more diverse team um, and company, you're more likely to get two more two more products out a year than not, right? You're also right. likely in better decision-making, better business performance. So um, I've been kind of advocating for that because if you look at kind of our traditional venture capital funding for people of color and women founders, it is not very good. And we've no, no it's business. not. <laughs> And VCs wow. ourselves, we need to be diversified. So I'm not a very common <laughs> look <laughs> and feel for a VC. Um, so, you know, very few people, uh, women. Um, well, for those that are listening, uh, what is kind of your ethnicity and, and background there um, since they, they can't see you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, oh, that's right. I am, I am actually Thai uh, with a little bit of Chinese. You know, a okay. wandering grandfather. Um, but anyways, right there. So, um, so from that standpoint, yes, I forgot. I'm thinking video podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> so wonderful from that. But it, you know, and um, yes, just a real champion because I feel we will all win when we become more diverse. So, when it when we're only five percent diverse in the venture capital world, that's not enough. And that's, wow. I, I thought it was low, but that is very low. Yeah. So wow. 95% is white male. Yeah. Uh, so so I think there's so much opportunity. <laughs> so. There is. It's immense. Um, and on that opportunity side and to, and to be able to, to obviously gain from your wisdom and knowledge experience, um, how can people find you and, uh, and uh, where, the, where can they go to... to to see you speak, maybe. Oh yes, I'm. Um, we you can follow us in LinkedIn at Telocity Ventures. Um, we're always kind of posting where we're speaking, kind of the latest updates. Um, if you like kind of additional resources, what we've been doing from that, um, just go to our website at Telocity.co. Um, and we also have our reports, our market guide, um, things, uh, our blog. There are resources for you as well. Wow. This has been immense in knowledge, and uh, and thank you for sharing your your experiences. Um, I I really applaud you on the, on the work you're doing and the people you're helping. And uh, for everyone listening, definitely check out Faye and Telelocity, and stay tuned to the next episode of the Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. Take care. Bye.